This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. This show is brought to you by Pet King Brands, the makers of Zymox and Oratine. It's Behave with Arden Moore, the show that teaches you how to have harmony in the household with your pets. Join Arden as she travels coast to coast to help millions better understand why cats and dogs do what they do. Get the latest scoop on famous faces. They're perfectly pampered pets in Who's Walking Who in Rin Tin Tinseltown. From famous pet experts and best-selling authors to television and movie stars, you'll get the latest buzz from wagging tongues and tails. Garner great pet tips and have a doggone fur-flying fun time. So get ready for the pause and applause as we unleash your all-behave host, America's pet edutainer, Arden Moore. Welcome to the All-Behave Show on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Arden Moore. Now, we know that the most popular currency for our dogs and cats is certainly not money. It's food. Treats. Uh Uh-oh. Kona's ears just perked up. And we know that scooping the litter box and coaxing our dogs to pee when the weather is not behaving are not two of our favorite activities. But rare is it to have a guest on our show who is arguably one of the top experts in what goes into a pet's food bowl and what exits out the pet's back end. (laughs) Yes, food as well as urine and yes, poop play starring roles in determining the health of our pets. You know what? That's why I'm delighted and honored to have on our show today a professor of medicine and nutrition from the University of Georgia. Please give pause and applause to the one and only Dr. Joseph Barges. Welcome to the show, Dr. Joe. Hey, that rhymes. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Pause and applause. Pause and applause. And that's just the start of it, man. Uh, because it's going to be a real calorie-free yeah. treat to have you on the show. Oh, it's getting worse. It's going south. Hey, guys, the good doctor is here to give us the skinny on pet nutrition and maybe flush out some healthy bathroom tips for our pets as well. But we got to take a commercial break first. So you guys know the drill. Sit and stay. We'll be right back. Time for a pause. For furry ones, actually, sit and stay. All Behave will be right back. Pause up, everyone. Arden Moore here, the host of the All Behave Show. Raise your paw if you love frozen desserts. I know I do. And so do my canine trio of Bujo, Kona, and Emma. They drool with delight when offered this sweet treat. And now all dogs will have plenty to yap about. That's because Ben and Jerry's has just unleashed not one, but two doggy desserts. Your dog can enjoy the Ponce Mix made with peanut butter and pretzel swirls or Rosie's Batch made with pumpkin and mini cookies or put a little of both in their bowl. Yum, yum for the tum-tum. Now, when you treat yourself to a bowl of your favorite Ben and Jerry's ice cream, mine is the classic Cherry Garcia, your dogs can enjoy the Ponce Mix or Rosie's Batch or a blend of both. Do you know what time it is? Why, it's Ben and Jerry's time. I see Happy, Bujo, Kona, and Emma heading my way. Check out the Ben and Jerry's doggy desserts at benjerry.com. That's B-E-N-J-E-R-R-Y.com. Pause up. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. 
Obehave is back with more tail-wagging ways to achieve harmony in the household with your pets. Now, back to your fetching host, America's pet edutainer, Arden Moore. Welcome back to the Obehave show on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Arden Moore. As many of you know, I write the nutrition columns for Catster and Dogster magazines. I is not a veterinary nutritionist. I just have strong typing fingers and know how to put a noun and a verb together. That's why I'm so grateful that one of my good, great, awesome, possum go-to experts has been Dr. Joe Barges. Welcome, welcome, Dr. Joe. Well, thank you. Hey, you know, I was looking over your credentials and just reading it makes my brain hurt. I mean, you're like Vanna White, man. you got a lot of initials no, after your name. No. I was in the right place at the right time doing the right thing. Well, let's just highlight a couple things. He is board certified in veterinary nutrition and internal medicine. He also has a PhD, which I'm betting doesn't mean just pretty happy dog. Or, or since we're talking about ins and outs, probably higher and deeper, but that's okay. Okay. And uh, he's a great guy and he's on a mission. He's been on a mission to help our cats and dogs uh, stay healthy. One of my favorite interviews I ever did with you was for an article back in 2017 for Dogster Magazine. The title of the article was What Your Dog's Pee Is Trying to Tell You. Dr. Joe, you had me at pee. You had me at pee. So you're at the University of Georgia. Tell us, you. I know I'm trying to count all the universities you've been to well, I, I haven't been to that many but uh i i have been i'm old so no you're not <laughs> when you're old you just sort of like drift so in a nutshell i'm actually from west virginia originally i graduated from marshall university a graduate degree in zoology go go herd and uh, we, we are marshall and then i went to the university of georgia i graduated from here in 1987 with my dvm I did an internship and then again, right place, right time, a double residency in internal medicine, nutrition with a PhD. Then I actually stayed for a postdoc at the medical school at, at the University of Minnesota. Okay. I was on faculty here for about three years in the mid-90s at Georgia. And then I went to the University of Tennessee. I was there for about 17 years on faculty, held an endowed chair of research, was interim department head for a few years. And then decided, you know, like businesses, you have to reinvent yourself every so often. Oh, yeah, definitely. I decided to reinvent myself and I went and worked in a practice in Connecticut that Cornell University owns called the Cornell University Veterinary Specialist. Cornell is awesome. Yeah. And I had a position at Cornell, an adjunct position. I was there for a, a couple of years and then ended up back here at Georgia. So not too many places. Well, the reason I bring this all up is in my previous life, I was a newspaper sports writer for many years. And I noticed on your Facebook page, tell everybody, the listeners, what is your Facebook page? You have some stuffed animals. I see them in the back. They're, yeah, they're things that have been given to me mostly. Um, oh, sure, Dr. That, Joe. We know you well, bought them. Um, they are, they are, they are. Uh, so I have a bear that when my daughter was young, worked at you know, a, a store they, you know, building bears. And so I got a bear with Marshall University on it. I have a bulldog. For Georgia, I have a blue tick hound for Tennessee. I have a bear for Cornell since they're the big red bears. He's double checking. Oh, and, a, and a gopher for the University of Minnesota. For the nice, Bears. nice. I like that. That's a little sense. And then on top of it, they all have, except for Marshall, they all have a surgical cap from the school. Picked up really? Sweet. So what made you say as a kid, when I grow up, I'm going to spend a lot of time in school and have a lot of like initials after my name? Uh, nothing whatsoever. I wasn't going to do that. What were you going to do? Yeah, I actually went to Marshall. It's not the land grant school, so it's not the ag school. 
of, of the state of West Virginia. I went to Marshall because I was going to go into counseling and oh. social work. And I was playing music. And so I got really interested in musical therapy as uh, music as a means of counseling and, and involved in social work. And then while I was at Marshall, I was working for a veterinarian. I grew up with animals, was working for a veterinarian on weekends in, in between, you know, bars and concerts yeah. and, and fraternity stuff. And you see how subtle he's just slipped all yeah, that well, in, guys. You know. Okay. Yeah. And then I was actually I was actually going to go to Duke. I was accepted into Duke to do a PhD program in genetics because I really like genetics. I so like genetics too. I was yeah. doing I was doing uh, I should have the intermediate step is I was doing the social work stuff and that really was doing a lot of a lot of science with really interesting science and so switched to my major to zoology and that's what got me into genetics and then uh, could have graduated in December but I really like college. So I thought I didn't want to give up another semester of college. So no, no, no way. I was taking graduate courses to just get ahead. And I took one course. It was a, from a guy by the name of Dr. Bowie Kale. And I was taking a physiology course. There were three of us in it. Two of them went to medical school and I went to veterinary school. And um, he said, you know, you like animals, you like science. Have you thought about veterinary medicine? And I, you know, I grew up with animals, had worked for vets and veterinarians and stuff, but never gave it a thought. Applied, got in, and then had to decide genetics versus veterinary medicine and ended up deciding veterinary medicine. And then I went to veterinary school thinking I would come back to West Virginia and do mixed animal practice. Cows because I liked them, dogs and cats because I needed the money, and horses because only if I had to. Well, wait a minute. Uh, what What is something about cows that has you enjoy uh, them? I don't know. We had some relatives that had cow, cattle and stuff that I got to you know, play with. I don't know. They're just... Are they misunderstood? They're great animals. They're yeah. they're very unassuming and they put up with a lot. And yeah. I was gonna say they'd put up with a lot of utter foolishness yeah, from us two leggers. <laughs> and, and, and that's no bull. So <laughs> all right, we can keep going. You know, everybody's groaning right now, but that's okay. But I want to know about cows. I mean, because you like you said, they're a little misunderstood, but they're chill. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things where it was uh they are chill and, and really enjoyed working on them, with them, and keeping them healthy. And then, you know, they, they serve a couple of roles. I mean, obviously, yeah. they can be pets, but more commonly, they're used as even milk production or meat production. And as I oftentimes, that's someone's livelihood. So you get the impact. Oh, you have yeah. an impact not only on animal health, but on human health as well. Um, but then I had fourth year at Georgia, and I had some really good instructors, um, uh, Craig Green and Jeannie Barsani. And uh, they pulled me aside and said, have you thought about academics? Have you thought about a PhD? Have you thought about Small medicine, which was my first rotation as a fourth year student. So I applied and got accepted uh, for an internship. And then, you know, from there it went on to pee. So, and pee and food. All right. All right. Come on. You guys, as veterinarians, call urine liquid gold. Can you tell people why you guys call it? Well, liquid I told the gold? students, well, I told the students that one of the things they have to learn is God made it gold for a reason, right? And it's, it's important. It gives you a lot of information. Oh, yeah. And a lot of people, and unfortunately, perhaps a lot of veterinarians don't think of it as part of a routine thing. They do blood work and you know, they're doing ultrasounds and radiographs and they never get pee. And pee can tell you stuff about. Well, what kind of some things that can pee tell us? Well, I can tell you, you know, one, obviously, how good is your kidneys functioning? But That's a is there an infection? You can use pee to determine is there a, fun a systemic fungal infection? You can send urine off to, to have that tested to show you have like blastomycosis. You can use urine to see if you have cancer of the urinary tract, and there's urine tests for that. You can look and see overall health status. Like you can detect diabetes mellitus, you know, diabetes with a urine sample, and that's you know what it means, sweet urine. Yep. Um, so I mean, there's lots of things that get a metabolic status, 
uh, how well your blood pH is, even if some of your blood chemistries are abnormal, like if you're seeing certain types of crystals, you see that with like a high blood calcium level or toxins like antifreeze. I mean, there's just so much information that you can. I like it. Well, you know, and for us as the, the folks that have our pets, obviously we're not doing uh, urine draws out of the bladder, but what are some tips you can give people to say, uh-oh, we need to go see the vet? What are some things, telltale signs? Well, first I would say you don't even need to, I mean, the best urine is straight from the bladder, right? With a needle and right. syringe. Oh, okay. But mainly if you're looking for infection, because urine in the bladder should be sterile and voided samples, regardless of how you do it, invariably get contaminated. But you can use voided urine for everything else except for culture. So if you're less worried about an inf a urinary tract infection, you're more worried about monitoring stone disease or looking for bladder cancer with a test, you can use voided samples. And I think that's the problem is a lot of veterinarians, they don't do urine samples. And when a dog or cat comes in, their bladders are small, so they don't get the sample, but they fail to tell an owner, especially for dogs, hey, can you catch a sample in the morning on the way in or catch it? You know, when you get up in the morning, stick it in the refrigerator, I mean, it changes some things, but for the most part, you can use it. So, you know, things that you would want to run a urine sample for are things like drinking more than usual, larger volumes of urine instead of, you know, a nice little puddle, big lake, uh, litter box. On your that, new rug. Yeah. yeah or, or a litter box that's, you know, there's not enough litter to absorb all the pee that your cat's producing. If you notice a discoloration to the urine, I mean, it's sometimes hard outside the dark or in the litter box, but, or an abnormal smell even. I mean, as you're cleaning things, you go, well, that doesn't smell like it normally does. They're straining to urinate. They're having accidents in the house. They're leaking urine when they're asleep. I mean, but even, even beyond that, you know, dogs, cats that are vomiting, have diarrhea, uh, quit eating, a urine sample should be part of that, what is called a minimum database, which is what counts biochemistry panel in a urine sample. I like that. And, and, uh, we have a, a furry Brady Bunch here and we go to Dr. Deborah Charles, they Casa Linda in Dallas. And what I love is when you walk into, to go by the, to the front door, there's big signs that says, hold your urine, please don't let your dog pee if possible. We want to grab a fresh. <laughs> so I thought here's a veterinarian that recognizes the power of pee, right? Power of pee. Yeah. Okay. Well, well. Let's go from P. I feel like this is Jeopardy. Moving from the next category from P, let's become poopologists. Yeah, that's right. Poop for 200. Yeah, poop for 200, Dr. Joe. So why why do we pay attention to the poop? Well, I hope you're not eating right now. I'm okay. not. Just drinking okay. coffee because uh, okay. it's still morning here. There's, again, a lot of things that that there's a lot of things that you get from an animal who can't speak for themselves. You know, it's not like a, you can ask even a five-year-old child, where does it hurt? How do you feel? Yeah. Does it hurt when I do this? You have to interpret what the dog or cat is telling you. And you have to also pay attention to what the pet parent is saying because they live with the pet, you know, their pet child. So they know what's normal or abnormal. And so as a veterinarian, I listen very closely. And so since you don't have the luxury of asking them, you have to use what's available. Well, what's available is how do they look? How do they feel when you touch them, palpate them? How do they sound with a stethoscope? How do they pee? How do they poop? What's their breath smell like? What's yeah. how bright are their eyes? And you have to use those kind of. You're, a, you're being a pet tools. detective, but you're a veterinarian. So you're way Well, it there. is it is a detective thing because they can't tell you. They, they leave right. you clues and you've got to pull the clues together. So poop tells you a lot about. I like that you didn't say feces. I like that you should say, no, but thank you. Thank you. You had me at poop again. Okay, okay go ahead. Back, back, to, back to the P words. P and poop. So poop tells you 
you know, um, how well are they absorbing nutrients from their diet? Like they have diarrhea. Um, do they have problems with, you know, their bowels moving? They're constipated. Is there blood? Do owners notice blood, which could be anything from inflammation to cancer? If they're not passing at all, maybe that's because yeah. they're not eating or yeah. they have an obstruction or, you know, something else. So again, you've got to use, you want to, as a veterinarian, we try to use all the things that are available to us. Well, I think also people need to know their pet's poop habits. You need to know how many drops you're going to get a day, right? Well, their poop, their poop scoring systems, like you go online and pull down a poop chart um, from one to seven, for example, like very loose to overly formed to normal. And shouldn't it look like a glistening Tootsie Roll? Well, yeah, for the most part, um, okay. but more for cats than dogs. Okay. Uh, okay. You know, cat, cats are a little bit more. Cat stools are typically a little bit more formed because they concentrate their urine better. And so I didn't know that. Uh, they, they don't drink as much. Okay. In fact, cats on canned food often don't drink at all. Yeah. And so their poop, just like their pee, is more formed because there's less water in it. But it shouldn't be hard and crumbly. It okay. ought to come out like a tootsie roll. Dogs, on the other hand, kind of depends on what they're eating. It shouldn't be loose, but it shouldn't be rock hard. It should be, you know, have a form to that you can pick up without it falling through your fingers. Well, I'm not picking it up with, with my hands. On. Okay. With, with a glove. Yeah. All those poop bags that we keep in our front pocket and right. accidentally wash like, all right, it's better than a Kleenex, right? Yeah. Hey guys, we're speaking with Dr. Joseph Barges. He's at the University of Georgia. As you know, from the beginning of the show, the man has a lot of degrees, but the man also has a passion and a commitment and a mission to help us keep our dogs and cats healthy. So we've been talking pee and poop, but we got to take a break right now and pay for the show with this commercial. So you guys know the drill. Let's sit and stay. We'll be right back. Time for a walk on the red carpet, of course. All Behave will be back in a flash right after these messages. Hey, Pet Pals, Arden Moore here. Welcome to spring and summer, the onset of itchy skin and allergy season. Is your pet dealing with itchy skin, hot spots, and even ear infections? Help is here. It is Zymox Shampoo and Conditioner to the rescue. Not only is this a shampoo and conditioner great for general bathing and healthy skin support, but it is the go-to shampoo and conditioner for itchy pets. Its patented enzyme formula is loaded with antibacterial and antifungal properties to ease the itch and stop the scratching. And as an added bonus, Zymox shampoos and conditioners give off a lovely, pleasant non-medicine smell. For over 20 years, Zymox products have been helping pets find relief for many health conditions. All Zymox skin and ear products get their effectiveness from enzymes. Zymox contains no antibiotics and no petroleum byproducts, just the soothing power of enzymes. Zymox can be found at your veterinary clinic, most pet specialty stores, and online. To learn more, dash over to www.zymox.com. That's Z-Y-M-O-X for your pet's sake. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Hi there, I'm Kate Walton. I hope you're going to tune in and listen to OB Hayes on Pet Life Radio with Arden Moore because she's a delight. 
We're back from the lot. Just checked the paper and we had a record showing at the box. The letterbox, that is. Now back to Obehave. Here's Arden. Welcome back to the Obehave show on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Arden Moore. I'm having a great time with you, Dr. Joe. You're talking about two of my favorite topics, pee and poop, and, and just throwing another pee. I actually went to Purdue. So there you go. <laughs> And Pet Life Radio is the longest-running pet podcast on the planet. There, we got all the P's, right? Oh, it's like Peter Piper. But there are a couple of things before we move from poop I wanted to ask the good doctor, and that is, you know, people do know if the dog or cat is straining, and I call it the caboose poop, the last poop out of the chute has a little red on it, but the rest of the poop doesn't, just a little dollop. Tell us the concern or not for that, what's causing it, it may be just them straining a lot, right? If yeah, but yeah. but that isn't the blood itself, which is probably what the red is. Right. Isn't as much of a concern as why are they even doing that? Because that shouldn't be normal either. I mean, okay. You know, people have hemorrhoids and things like that. Dogs and cats really don't have it. That don't really get wow. that kind of thing. Um, yeah. So when you're seeing blood on it, you have to start thinking about do they have some sort of inflammatory disease? Are they really straining a lot because of some sort of inflammatory disease or cancer in an older pet that we're yeah. worried about? Okay. Um, anal gland disease, because they sometimes get infected. And then as they defecate and, you know, when, as they defecate, as they poop. He's coming down to my level, guys. As they poop, then some of that nasty stuff out of the anal glands, which are infected, gets, gets on it as well. So, well, one thing I, I want to ask you is because I'm a master pet first aid instructor and I have 12 veterinarians on my advisory board, including Dr. Colloran and some other honchos. But one thing they taught me to tell my students is if the poop coming out of the chute is really stinky, reeky, and it looks like ground coffee grounds, that's a medical emergency. Why? Because usually if it's dark, like coffee browns or kind of like almost like um, axle grease, you know, it's really Ooh, thick yeah. and, and, and sticky. Usually that means they're bleeding somewhere up in their intestinal tract, either from their stomach or the small That's intestines, because what you're seeing now is the blood that yeah. instead of being bright red, which tells you the blood is from the lower part of the intestines, the colon and, and, yeah. and anus, that when it's black, it's being digested. So somewhere further up. And yeah, then you start really worrying about things like, again, cancer in an older pet, a severe infection, parvovirus can do this, for example, severe inflammatory bowel disease, uh, something called an inosusception, which is where a loop of intestine sort of telescopes inside itself, Ooh. which can strangulate the, the intestine and then you get a wow. sort of intestine that's dead. Uh, you know, things like that, a foreign body, especially a sharp foreign body, like a bone that didn't get digested in the stomach that passes. Yeah. Through. The dog that stole the chicken leg, right? Yeah. Or, or the skewer off the kebab, you know, whether eating, I mean, I've had that knife. I've had a dog's dog's full knife. Really? Yeah. Because they've got meat on it, raw meat. Cause they've been like cutting chicken and they reach yeah. up and grab the night and swallowed whole. I mean, just, I bet it like was that. probably a lab, right? Yeah. <laughs> oftentimes it's a lab <laughs> or some sort of retriever. Wow. Wow. Hey, I know we could spend a whole day with you because you're really full of knowledge, but we were going to move from poop and pee to food. And I know food, I say sometimes when you talk about it is very touchy with some people. It could be like you're talking about religion and politics at the same time. There's going to be a food fight. But guys on the air with me right now is Dr. Joseph Barges. The guy is 
board certified in veterinary nutrition. So be kind. He has some good things to say to you. So food has changed a lot since you went to uh, vet school years ago and what it is now. I mean, we're talking plant-based now, freeze-dried. Can you kind of give an overview of this food revolution we're going through with our dogs and cats? Well, it's kind of interesting. I, you know, it's kind of an, a revolution, but if you look historically, it's not as much as you think. Okay. So pet foods came about in the 1800s by a guy by the name of James Spratt. He developed like almost like a rule that you added meat to. They were cakes, basically. Then he sold that and it eventually became like Gaines Burgers and things like that. Oh my gosh, I remember Gaines Burgers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Then and then in the, about the 1920s or so, that's when actually canned foods came about. Before dry foods, canned foods came about. So they they had starter mixes of vegetables and stuff you'd add meat to, or you could get these canned products. And like for example, the first was Alpo, which was horse meat basically left over from because people used to eat horses left over from the human horse meat industry. Okay. It, we didn't really get to dry food until the 1950s. What happened is Karina Mills, who makes, you know, uh, and the checkerboard square, oh, who there makes you go. lots of things. They uh, were making cereal, Czech cereal, right? Because of Czech checkerboard square. And they took that process and made dog, start making dog food with it. And that's sort of now when people talk about, and you'll read on websites and Facebook that conventional diets, convention has only been conventional for about 50 years. And so then, you know, that sort of made it easy to feed dogs and cats because they were ready-made, complete in what we knew, and it developed over time, complete and balanced foods, either as dry food or canned food. And honestly, the carbohydrates are cheaper than animal proteins. Yep. And so that's why many of the foods are more grain-based or carbohydrate-based than, you know, meat-based. Well, then... In probably, you know, late 1990s or so, we start seeing a few alternative kind of diets come about, whole ingredient, grain-free, those kind of diets, but they didn't really catch on until about 15 years ago or so when the whole melamine, oh, yeah. acid, all the kidney failure that occurred with that, which came through into foods through wheat gluten, which is a grain. And then suddenly the grain-free segment like exploded. At one point it was 40 some percent of the dry food market. Uh, for example. Well, I remember back then it was, you know, that was a big deal. Pets were dying and, oh, yeah, and people were going to homemade diets. They were freaking out, right, Dr. Joe? Oh, absolutely. Uh, in fact, I have done for years um, what's called the Veterinary Information Network. Oh, which Vin, is, yeah. Uh, yeah, Vin. And back then there was a, there were three, a group of us that put together a homemade diet for dogs and cats that was simple to make that you could feed to either just to make life simple until then when we didn't know what was going on just to get us through that that time it was kind of the COVID of cuisine back then right yeah it was kind of a COVID of cuisine but you know those kind of recalls and stuff come and go that was probably one of the bigger ones unfortunately but and more devastating um, in terms of the impact on pets but and health and not only health but life so bring us up to now we so have now, that, now where we are is because of that now alternative or whatever you want to call it, have blossomed because people are looking for alternatives to conventional carbohydrate-based, high heat processed, kibble and canned foods. And so we see a lot of whole ingredient foods rather than ultra processed foods, you know, byproducts and things. Mm -hmm. Chicken byproduct is chicken, grain-free, raw diets, you know, just uh, alternative sources, insect protein diets are, are coming. In Europe, they're already there. You know, more sustainable sustainability limited. So when you look at what people want, 
in general, the mm -hmm. surveys say limited ingredient, easy to understand ingredients, sustainability. I mean, you know, as we move through the generations, the newer generations are much more aware of the future of the planet than baby boomers like me. But all right. I know there was a book called Pet Nation. And I know Dr. Ernie Ward wrote a book recently about pet food, the pet food revolution, and talked about like you just touched on plant based protein. I'm looking at my cat and I'm like, you're a obligate carnivore. Why would I want to do plant based protein? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, in fact, our cats, we feed them a mix of different diets, including a homemade diet that is. Do you want to do a shout out to your two? Our two kids, uh, Stevie and Ray. Hi, Stevie. Um, Hi, Ray. Um, they, they, uh, we make them a homemade, we feed them in part a homemade diet that is basically boiled chicken with a little bit of kale and a vitamin mineral mixed with fish oil and, and a probiotic in it, which is actually a complete balanced diet. It is like 1% carbohydrate, wow, 80% protein. Uh, but you ought to see these cats. They're ridiculous in terms of how, for being indoor only cats, how muscular they are, how little body fat they have and, and how differently distributed. Are they doing kitty power lifts or something when you're not looking? Well, they have, you know, like all cats, they have their bursts of energy where their neurons fire and they run around for about 30 or 40 minutes and then they collapse somewhere. But they exercise hard. They are very athletic. And we we feed, literally and figuratively, we feed into their instinct to hunt. So we, we use a lot of food puzzles. They can do level three dog food puzzles. Really? Better than dogs. We've received puzzles from friends who've had, you know, border collies that can't figure this out. And our cats can figure it out in like two minutes. Well, you know, cats are like, yeah, we know, we know we're smart, <laughs> well, but that's good. But I mean, maybe we can play a fun game, fact or fiction. So here we go. All gluten and grains are bad for pets. True or false? Uh, false. Okay. Um, why? They're not all bad. In fact, you know, believe it or not, cats can actually digest grains and carbohydrates to a certain level. They are mm -hmm. true carnivores and they need a certain level of protein in their diet. They can still use it. That isn't the point, though. And it comes back to your idea of plant-based protein versus animal right. based because nutritionists are very good. And the students here, the students come through and like it's nutrients, not ingredients. Good point. So if you meet, if you meet protein levels, you meet carbohydrates, it doesn't matter where it's coming from. So they meet. And to us, to an extent, that is theoretically true. However, I don't believe it's practically true. Okay. I think owners, you know, we don't go out and say, we're going to go out to dinner. What do you want? Well, I want four parts protein and I want two parts carbohydrate. <laughs> you go, I want a steak. Right. I want a, a potato burrito. Yeah. I want a, you know, whatever you. And so because pets are children, yeah. that's what pet parents are looking for. It's not just nutrients, it's the ingredients. And probably even more so because that's stuff they understand. Yeah, right? that's, that's stuff true. they can look at a label and say, I understand what chicken is. I have no idea what rolled corn prod byproduct meal is. You know, um, I know there's corn in there, but I don't know what that means. Okay. But the, the answer to your question, true or false, it, it's uh, false. The pets can utilize corn uh, grains up to a certain point. Okay. All right. Other fact or fiction. Raw food diets are superior to kibble. True or false? Uh, scientifically unknown, false, but not necessarily false, but we don't know that it's true. Okay. And unfortunately, there are very little data published out there. We had a graduate student when I was at Tennessee did a growth diet in kittens following Association of American Feed Control official growth guideline, AFCO guidelines. And we took these kittens who were related all from one Queen and Tom mm -hmm. and fed them either a commercial canned, heat processed, regular food, a homemade raw chicken diet or a commercial raw food. 
the kittens that were, there was no difference in the groups. They're, they were all as healthy. The blood work was all normal. They didn't have any, uh, even the raw chicken didn't have any differences in infectious diseases, salmonella, things like that. The wow. one thing that was the immune response to vaccination, anything. The one thing that was mainly different is the kittens on the raw food, especially the homemade raw diet. The food was so digestible that they didn't defecate hardly any. In fact, we had cats that would go to kittens that would go two to three days before they would defecate normal stools. Just it was wow. so it was like 95 plus percent digestible. I don't know what to tell you about that. We feed our kittens, our cats raw diets um, as well. If you're going to talk about it, then you might as well do it. That, yeah, they true. do fine. So we don't know that it's better or worse. And this is where it gets back to your comment about religion and politics, because raw feeders are raw feeders and non-raw oh, yeah. feeders are non-raw feeders, and they're not going to change regardless of what it's not red or blue. It's a different kind of division. Yeah, I guess. It's just a different way. It's not that they're better or worse. It's just different. Uh, and commercial raw foods as well are just different than commercial heat processed foods. And, and the other is people, and I'm sorry to belabor this. I mean, we're going to run out of time, but people write about raw foods, about how bad they are. And they lump all raw foods together no. and are commercial. And what people don't realize, including the people who are experts writing about this is, at least in the United States, all commercial food, whether they're raw or cooked, has to be infectious disease negative. So what that means is good. a commercial raw food, uh, like Darwin's or whatever, they have to have zero infectious disease by culture, which means now they're not the same. They weren't what they were 15 years ago where that was an issue. Homemade raw diets run into some potential problems because 20 to 40% of the chicken we buy at the grocery store has salmonella. So unless you are aware of that or are careful of it, you know, that is an issue. But raw commercial foods are a whole different beast Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I give my pets, they get a uh, freeze dried uh, yeah. in some cases, and I give them canned and, and a little bit of kibble. But my kibble is not, it's, um, I don't want to name a brand, but it's the one where they don't bake it all off. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a little bit more moisture, all that. Well, and that's, that's ways of getting around it. Like you can still feed raw-ish food at home by yeah. searing it. So like you can take meat and sear the outside so the inside's still raw, blue. Yeah. And, and you, the bacteria on the outside unless they're ground meats. And so if you sear the outer layer, then you've killed most of the bacteria. And, and raw pet food companies have to do things to make them zero infectious disease. So they're not unprocessed. They're just very minimally, whether it's freeze-dried, high-pressure pasteurization, air-dried, bacteria, like mm -hmm. sausage, for example, is made with a bacteria that kills the bacterial pathogens. So there are foods now that have that. Can't wait for that next uh, brat. You eat yogurt, that has bacteria in it. Yeah, so, yeah. like, what's the that's difference? That's true, that's true. Hey, guys, we're talking with Dr. Joseph Barges from the University of Georgia. He is board certified in uh, nutrition and internal medicine. We just skimmed the surface, so we're going to have to have you back on the air down the road because, first of all, you're a, a genius, but you're also a very kind person that you can tell your heart is there as well as your brain for cats and dogs. Before we go, is there any parting food for thought you want to give our listeners? They're from all over the world. We got about 500,000 listening to you right now. They eat well and have your pets eat well. Yeah. There are a lot of choices out there. There is no one best diet, no one best anything, really. Right. Uh, it depends on the situation, the pet, even pets on the best of foods made by the biggest of companies don't necessarily do well in that food. It's not the right one for them. Okay. So find out what works. Take them in to be evaluated. Annual exams are very important. Yes. Um, because things can be picked up. And as pets get older, annual you know, laboratory testing is very important. If you can pick up something early, you can be proactive. 
wait instead of waiting until they're sick because of a disease and now you're being reactive and and you're starting behind the eight ball um, well when our but, pets get to be a little older we go with twice a year and do the whole panel and urine and blood for our yeah. pets yeah, yeah i mean i think that's i mean it's just preventative care it's good preventative care it's good medicine it's good for your children all of them two and four legged. well i think stevie and ray are two lucky kitties to have you as their daddy you're a cat daddy you're a cat, cat man daddy. dude yeah. <laughs> i actually grew up with boxers so i've had boxers pretty much all my life but really really what they don't they live in a big enough place to have dogs uh, so we we have our feral cats our trained tamed feral cats of sorts i like that guys let's give it up for dr joseph barges how do people find out about you is there a quick way to learn more about you uh, i wish i could tell you exactly off the top of my head but you can search on the on obviously the web and search under my name b-a-r-t-g-e-s the t is silent um or go to the university of georgia college of veterinary medicine and then uh or to the veterinary teaching hospital and we have a nutrition support service dr jack Parra and i run it she does majority because i do other things as well like medicine and interventional biology but we work as a team and nice provide uh, nutritional consults all over the world and again, where do they go? Again, where is that specifically? If you search on University of Georgia Veterinary Teaching Hospital and put in nutrition. All right, that's a good resource. Guys, let's give it up for Dr. Uh, Joseph Barges. I've learned a lot from you today and always in, in, our, in our communication. So it's very nice to have you finally on our show. I hope you had a good time. I did, I really appreciate it. Sir. Would be happy to come back. Oh, all right. And guys, we also want to give a shout out to our executive producer of Pet Life Radio. We're talking Mark Winter. He is the wizard of pause. I call him the surgeon of sound. Uh, we have been on the air since 07, making us the longest running continuous pet podcast on the planet. That's a lot of fees. And I'm really happy that we have people like Dr. Joe on our show. Guys, if you want to find out more about what I'm up to, please just go to ArdenMoore.com. And every Wednesday night, we host Meowie Hour with the Cat Fancier Association. And Dr. Joe's going to be our guest next month. I'm going to make you a kitty cocktail, Dr. Joe. Are you intrigued? I am. I'm not sure what's going to be in it, but that's well, okay. Well, I'm a licensed bartender. It's for the two-leggers, not the kitty. That's fine so, um, so we'll have some fun I've with that. I've been working on perfecting summer drinks. I, I perfected my quarantini over COVID. So. Quarantini. All right. That sounds good. Hey, guys, please check out all the shows on Pet Life Radio. We have a lot to share with you from great hosts and great guests. So until next time. This is your flea-free host, Arden Moore, delivering just two words to all you two, three, and four-leggers out there. Oh, behave! Coast to coast and around the world, it's Oh, Behave with Arden Moore. Find out why cats and dogs do the things they do and get the latest buzz from wagging tongues and tails in Rin Tin Tinseltown. From famous pet experts and best-selling authors to television and movie stars, you'll get great tail-wagging pet tips and have a fur-flying fun time. All behave with America's pet edutainer, Arden Moore. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.